This is really gross, but dirty trash cans can pose a serious health risk to you and your family. The pungent smell can attract rats and flies, not to mention maggots, both of which can contain dangerous diseases transferable to humans. Your dirty trash can is susceptible to harboring dangerous bacteria. Contact Brandon at Fitz Trash Bin Cleaning today at 440-752-1533 or find them on Facebook. Better and owned and operated and eco-friendly. Again, call Brandon at 440-752-1533. Redline Radio LLC is proud to partner with Growing Wings Adult Services for the creation of our brand new state-of-the-art production studio. Growing Wings Adult Services has been assisting adults with disabilities in the Northeast Ohio area for the past five years. For more information on how Lisa and the team at Growing Wings can assist your family, you can contact Lisa at 234-334-7547. Detroit Auto Parts is the official parts store of Red Line Radio LLC. They have two convenient locations on the east side. You can call 216-531-7373 or on the west side, call 216-398-7373. Mention Red Line Radio and receive 10% off your purchase. It's the official home and auto parts store of Red Line Radio LLC. If you need any custom T-shirts, banners, stickers, anything like that made, then you reach out to Incredible Keepsakes. As Diane always says, cherished moments are made to last forever. You can reach Incredible Keepsakes at 440-242-9648 or check out their website at IncredibleKeepsakes.com. And don't forget to mention that Redline Radio sent you. For all of our programming information, you can check us out on all social media platforms. You can listen to all of our great programming and live 24-hour music on the Redline Radio LLC app. You can find it on the Google Play Store, but you can also check us out at RedlineRadioLLC.com where we are always live. The Autumn Brawl here at Painesville Speedway is proudly brought to you by the team over at All Access Realty and Frank Sobochan. If you or your family are looking to upgrade their home or possibly even selling their home, or if your business needs an upgrade, then reach out to Frank and the team at All Access Realty. Frank proudly served our country in the military, and now he's proudly serving the community. Contact the team at All Access Realty today at 440-391-7430 or you can email Frank at franks at allaccesclerealty.com. Money's Crazy Mind is brought to you by Incredible Keepsakes. At Incredible Keepsakes, cherished moments are made to last forever. T-shirts, binders, cups you name it incredible keepsakes can make it reach out to them today at incrediblekeepsakes.com or 440-242-9648 don't forget to mention you heard about them on redline radio llc warning 
Monday's Crazy Mind and Tunes language that may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised, but will be completely f- ignored. <laughs> This bitch, 2007 and forever, you know what I'm saying? What? Debo crazy, yeah. the nigga named Spooks, right. and that nigga Mr. C. God damn, is my head pounding, but we're here. We're live. It's Friday night. It's 8 o'clock. I am actually in the Growing Wings Adult Services Studios here at Redline Radio LLC. What's going on, everybody? The Asylum is back. The asylum is open, and we're going to talk about some of the most notorious Hollywood villains that were inspired by some real scumbags, and we'll talk all about that in a minute. I want to talk about why there hasn't been a show for a few weeks. Well, I'm sure everybody has heard me talk about it, you know, uh, my car is down right now. We're, you know, it's basically just my wife's car right now. We're trying to do everything we can to try to save that vehicle for as long as we can. But on top of that, you know, last Friday, we were this close to getting me a new car and shit fell through, you know, um, such as life, you know, now I'm just scrambling to trying to get the money together to get Ecto Soul back on the road. And we're going to go from there. Uh, a few pieces of uh, Redline business uh, that I want to get to here real quick before we get into the show. Um, first off, congratulations to our new general manager. She is the title sponsor of this studio that I am in right now, Lisa Summers. Congratulations, Lisa, on being the new general manager of Redline Radio LLC. On top of that, we uh, just recently did a remote at Lucy's Shenanigans uh, over in Parma. And it was our first time ever doing a remote there. And I got to tell you, when I say the guys over at, uh, at Talking About Balls, you know, the show Wednesday night, the number one show at Studio Two as of last month, when I say that they packed the place, they packed that motherfucker. So much so much so that Lucy's didn't really know what to do. And they were scrambling to try to take care of everybody the best they could. They have apologized for it. 
Um, you know, and as far as I know, everything's been smoothed over with all the patrons that were affected. So there's that, you know, but uh, congratulations to those guys. Not just for having the number one show at Studio 2 this month, but also for uh, having that successful, very successful uh, remote at Lucy's this past Wednesday night. That will not be the last time that that uh, Redline Radio and uh, some of our shows here are going to be going on the road. We have a lot of st- opportunities coming up here, and uh, we're going to talk all about those a little bit later on in the show. So. You know, something crazy has been happening now that, you know, uh, my wife and I are are sharing cars uh, or a car, I should say. And she listens to a particular I'm not going to name the name of the show, uh, but she listens to a particular nationally syndicated morning show. On a station that plays a lot of pop music. And. You know, you you hear me talk about it uh, for putting in the work up there to make the remotes happen. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. You know, it's been, you know, it's it's a combination of of not just me, uh, but Dave, Tim Buck too. Uh, you know, Justin uh, did come and help us set up on uh, Tuesday night, and you know, so it was just a labor between everybody that made that remote be uh, the success that it was. And uh, like I said, we'll be doing it again here real soon more on that in a minute um but she listens to this nationally syndicated radio show and i've noticed something internet radio is definitely the way to go because on internet radio you never know what song you're going to get at any time with these stations you can pretty much tell what hour it is or what half hour it is or anything like that because of what song is being played on their station. If I hear that goddamn song from fucking Stranger Things one more time, I swear to God, I'm probably going to rip the radio out of her dashboard. Um, uh, Dave says, I appreciate you so much. You better believe you're a key part of Redline. I, I definitely do. I, I know that. I know that. Uh, but there's another song that I'm kind of getting tired of hearing, and I and I don't remember the name of it, but it's by somebody that needs to learn the English language by the name of Doja Cat. And I'm noticing it's not just in this one song, but in every song by her that that they've been playing. And that is the only time I've ever heard this woman. I didn't even know that there was a a fucking, I guess you can call her musician out there by the name of Doja Cat until we started having to share the, the car. And it's almost like this woman doesn't know how to complete words. It's not even complete sentences. It's complete words. And I don't understand how something like that is entertaining to anybody. Uh, We've got a huge announcement coming up November 18th. That's the day before my birthday, Dave. That's the day before my birthday. And it says this is huge. So uh, stay tuned for that. Now my wife's saying that she loves me. I love her too. Um, But I, I don't understand how it's entertaining to anybody. Like I listen to these songs And A, it sounds like garble gobbledygook for one. But then for two, like you go online and you look at the lyrics because you don't understand a word that's coming out of her mouth. And you're like, that's what she's trying to say? These aren't the words that are coming out of her mouth. It's literally just noise. It's noise at that point. So Doja Cat, like, 
go away. Just, that's all I got to say. Just, just Doja Cat, bye, go. Just, just stop making music. You've made money. Just, just goodbye. Get, get the fuck off of everybody's radio. Because at this point, you're just an annoyance. All right. So like I said, the topic for tonight, we're going to be talking about some of the most notorious Hollywood baddies that have been influenced by real life scumbags. And we're going to get to that after I have another session of Gen Z, shut the fuck up. And that, since there is no crazy shit you find on the internet this week, but sad but true news is going to be brought to you by... Money's Crazy Mind and Redline Radio LLC is proudly sponsored by Tattoo Therapy, Inc. In the Greenbrier Shopping Center at 6259 Pearl Road, Parma Heights, Ohio. You can contact Riley today at 440-747-7130. They are one of the premier tattoo parlors in Northeast Ohio. And don't forget to tell them that Redline Radio sent you. All right, so speaking of Tattoo Therapy, Inc., they are actually not going to be at that location uh, anymore. Uh, as of Friday, October 21st, they are having the ribbon cutting at their brand new location just three doors down to the left from where they previously sat. It's the old Lily uh, Chinese food uh, restaurant, uh, but it is now going to be the new home of Tattoo Therapy, Inc. Yours truly, the one and only Mr. A.K.A. Lex Vegas, and the most dangerous man at Redline Radio, the Grape Ape, are going to be there Friday and Saturday broadcasting live at the grand opening. And yours truly is going to be getting tattooed live on the air by the owner of Tattoo Therapy, Inc., Riley Chase. Dave says that he's got a special announcement about that uh, remote as well. So my guest on that sh on the show, hey, you guys saying I don't have guests. Here I am. I'm bringing you a guest, all right? My guest <laughs> for that special episode is going to be Riley Chase himself, the owner of Tattoo Therapy, Inc. Now, I will only be there Friday. Possibly there's a few things in the work, uh, in the works that uh, might be happening with me having a little bit of a clearer schedule on Saturday, uh, but I'll keep everybody updated with that. Dave says he's going to be there both days. And he says that this band that uh, opened up for Five Finger Death Punch on Tuesday night, the Hue, or I think that's the way you pronounce it, um, you couldn't understand a word that they were saying either. All right, so Gen Z, stop getting millennials in trouble for shit that we have nothing to do with. And this is another perfect example of that. This is sad but true news. Ace Ventura, pet detective, did not age well and is super offensive. No shit. It was offensive back in 1993, 94, whatever year that movie came out. But let's see what this article is talking about. Um, I got this article from a website called Secret Life of Mom Diet Kim. All right. So the article goes on to say, let's be honest here. There are many movies and television shows that we watched when we were kids that would not be allowed today. Many old movies and TV programs are full of racist, misogynistic, and homophobic themes and stereotypes that would cause an absolute uproar today. 
The most recent of these to come under fire is comedian Jim Carrey's Ace Ventura Pet Detective. Okay, time out. Got to stop it right there. Jim Carrey didn't write this movie, okay? So it's not Jim Carrey's movie. Just because he starred in it doesn't make it his movie. And millennials are not calling out shit. It's the Gen Z motherfuckers that are calling all this out. The 1994 hit for its trans and homophobic scenes and for body shaming, to say the least. Ace Ventura Pet Detective was an instant hit when it was released in 1994. Many consider it to be the actor Jim Carrey's big break. After that film, Carrey's career seemingly uh, seemed to skyrocket. His performance in Ace Ventura was undoubtedly incredible. Well, what wasn't so incredible, as we are seeing now, is how it uh, how offensive some of the material is. Now that the movie has returned to Netflix, many Gen Zers are watching the movie again. This time, however, they are watching it as adults and with a bit of different lenses. They have realized that, sadly, one of their favorite childhood movies is actually grossly homophobic and transphobic. Okay. Uh, the primary scene in question, if you haven't watched the movie and want to, we will warn you now that the scene uh, that has caused the most alarm is the climax. The big reveal at the end of the film, that is to say that if you are concerned about spoilers, consider this your spoiler alert. We are about to reveal the movie's big surprise. Okay, if you haven't seen this movie by now, fuck you. The big reveal at the end of the film is that Detective Einhorn is actually the bad guy Ray Finkel in disguise. You, you remember, Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. Uh, Finkel has been disguised as a woman the entire time and has uh, relations with Ace. When Ace figures this out, he spends a whole scene reacting in horror because he has kissed a man. He then strips Detective Einhorn down to her underwear and reveals that she is actually Finkel, a man, to the police. The police then react in the same manner that Ace did. Why is this problematic? There's so much wrong with this scene, it's hard to know where to begin. For starters, it's slut-shaming and objectifies Sean Young's body. Obviously, the even bigger themes there, uh, there are how incredibly trans and homophobic this scene is. The movie was made in the early 90s when jokes about being gay or trans were rampant. While the conversations surrounding being part of the LGBTQ plus community were starting to change in Hollywood, they were very much further behind. At best, homosexual characters were made to be the stereotypes and side characters only. At worst, being gay, lesbian, or trans was made to be a joke or even worse, a danger to society. Something terribly bad that people should try and stay away from. Many of us were only children when the movie came out and didn't necessarily have the capacity to understand why Ace Ventura Pet Detective is offensive. That doesn't mean that everyone was sitting around saying, well, it's just a sign of the times. It's quite the opposite, actually. In fact, people have actually protested the film because of its trans and homophobic themes. Some even wrote this open letter to the LA Times explaining why the film was so offensive. I don't laugh at characters that behave as though homo homosexuality is revolting and subhuman. There are at least four such jokes, including one montage where Ventura discovers that he has kissed another guy and runs into a shower to cleanse himself. Ha ha. Hmm. Wrote one person. How, uh, how unfortunate that even with Hollywood's recent strides towards gay tolerance, it still spits out such insulting, insecure, 
quote-unquote entertainment. The clear message that comes across is that to be cool, like Ace includes despising anything remotely homophobic, an attitude that leads to discrimination and condones physical violence against gays, wrote another letter contributor. Okay. I'm going to break this down in the most nicest way I can possibly do. All right. Again, the movie came out in 1994. You clearly state in your little diatribe there that the world was a different place back then. And you say things in this article that I think are being taken completely out of context. So let's jump back to what I'm talking about here. In this moment right here, uh, where uh, it says, uh, slut shames and objectifies Sean Young's body. Obviously, the even bigger themes are how incredibly trans and homophobic the scene is. All right. Now. I agree that there's things that happen in this scene that probably would not happen in a movie today. But again, this was a movie from 1994. And they weren't necessarily stating that being trans is wrong. They weren't necessarily trying to slut shame the Einhorn character. Everything that this character did was due to the mental illness that Ray Finkel had and blamed a fucking dolphin for him not being able to kick a football? Or did you miss the entire two-thirds of the film before this? The character of Ray Finkel was in a mental institution. He didn't become trans because he felt that he was a actually a woman. He did it to hide his identity so that he didn't go back into a building very similar to the one behind me. So to sit there and say that the film is doing things of that nature, you completely missed the point of the fucking movie. And this is the problem by just rampantly going out and saying the things that people are saying, not just about Ace Ventura, but about a lot of the films from the 80s, 90s, 70s, 60s, all these different eras where, yes, life was different back then. But I'm going to quote a college on this that clearly states that they do actually i'm going to quote the dolans the owner of the cleveland guardians i'll call them the guardians for this it's okay to change history but it's wrong to erase it so as long as people can watch ace ventura and realize that the character of einhorn and finkel are one and the same yes but that the reaction that Ace and everybody else was having wasn't because of the fact that they hate gay people or wasn't because of the fact that they hate uh, transgender people. It was because of the fact that even the person themselves, the person that you're stating is in the right here, which is the mentally fucked up motherfucker who hid as a woman to hide the fact that he's a mentally disturbed person who wants to kill a dolphin then you're the problem. And you're the one that's not realizing that society has grown up and has matured and has evolved past moments like that. And yes, Ace did have the reaction where he's sucking a plunger on his face to try to get the taste of Einhorn out of his mouth because he just realized, 
oh my God, here I am thinking it's a woman, but it's actually a man. But not only is it a man, it's the man that I'm after. And it is very wrong. You, you want to talk about shit that's wrong? I personally believe it's wrong that a transgender person goes out there and doesn't reveal the fact that, hey, uh, yes, I'm a woman now, but I used to be a man. That, to me, is wrong. Am I wrong for thinking that way? Possibly, but you know what? This is my show, and it's my opinion, and I'm going to give it to you. So here we go again with Gen Z trying to ruin everything, everything. And quite frankly, now I'm fucking tired of it. Did, did my generation make a lot of mistakes? Fuck yeah, we did. Did my parents' generation make a bunch of mistakes? Hell yes. But guess what? Your parents are the exact same people who grew up on movies like this, and we are not the fucking problem. <clears throat> Maybe if you assholes would put down the fucking video game controllers and pay attention to what they're trying to teach you in history class, you would realize that this country has changed quite a bit since and we can continue to grow now and i wonder why i have a fucking migraine all right but that was sad but true news this week thank you thank you thank you to tattoo therapy inc and my boy hey look at that their logo popped up right when i said their name and my boy riley chase the owner of tattoo therapy inc i will see you in two weeks buddy when i am getting tattooed live on the air right here from money's crazy mind Liz, thank you for checking out the show. They're not educated, and that's exactly why I brought up the point that I brought up. And she also said that she agreed with me that a lot of this is just the Gen Z people overreacting and taking things completely out of context. All right, now that we've wasted a half hour of the show, let's go ahead and jump right into our topic for this week, and that is Hollywood's some of Hollywood's most notorious baddies that have been influenced by real-life scumbags now i didn't have to do a lot of research for this because you can actually go back and watch any dvd blu-ray 4k whatever special features and learn a lot about the stuff that i've already uh, about this but i did want to do some research into the actual human beings that these fictional characters and i'll preface that again fictional characters are based off of so if you got a problem with some of the characters that I'm talking about, how about you talk to their real-life influences? Oh, that's right, you can't, because most of them are fucking dead. So let's start it off here. One thing that I realized is that one name has come up quite a bit. I'm going to name some of the characters that he has influenced over the years. Now, some of these characters have other influences on top of it, and we'll get into those a little bit later on. But there's a movie, Deranged, from 1974. Pretty much every member of the Firefly family from the House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects and Three from Hell. Norman Bates, Leatherface, Dr. Oliver Treadston from American Horror Story Asylum, Buffalo Bill. So these are some of the most notorious characters in the history of horror. And they're all were inspired by one man. You're in rare form. I, I'm in a bad mood, Liz. I, I know you missed the very beginning of the show where I said I'm in a little bit of a bad mood, but it's articles like that where they talk about, you know, how 
certain things are are prevalent in movies when they don't real really understand the premise of the story and take shit out of uh, context. That's what really gets me fed up. But not only that, but I've been researching serial killers all day. So, yes, I'm in a little bit of rare form today, as you like to put it, Liz. Uh, but Liz is joining us from Growing Wings Adult Services. Um, Liz's husband, Andre, is actually on his way down to Chicago right now to race in the Chicago Marathon for, I believe, the second or third time. So, good luck, Andre. I will see you Tuesday, buddy. All right, but let's talk about the Butcher of Plainsfield, Ed Gein. Imagine a sexually repressed, repressed, socially awkward mama's boy with hoarding tendencies. Now imagine he also enjoys digging up corpses in order to create uh, morbid housewares and personal fashion like cereal bowls made from skulls or an entire belt made from nipples. That's got to be an uncomfortable belt. Ed Gein is a mainstay in serial killer circles, despite the fact that he's not actually a serial killer. In fact, only two deaths are attributed to Gein. Tavern owner Mary Hogan in 1954 and Bernice Warden, a Plainfield hardware store owner in 1957. But good old Ed is notorious for a completely different reason. Once police sketched his home and the details began to emerge, Ed Gein would become the template for a slew of boogeymen in entertainment. It wasn't until Ed had murdered Bernice Warden, the owner of a local hardware store, that he drew police's attention. Bernice's son, Frank, told investigators that Ed had been in the evening before his mother's disappearance. According to a sales slip left in the store, Ed was meant to return the following morning to pick up a gallon of antifreeze. The police picked Gein up at a local grocery store and the police checked the Gein farm. Their officers found the remains of Bernice Warden. Um, I do actually have a picture here of uh, the inside of Gein's house. So I'm going to bring that up here real quick. If I can find it. There it is. All right. Uh, uh, Gein's house is not pretty. Um, you can actually see a lot of the body parts and stuff. Uh, that he had in the house. That is a shot from his kitchen, um, actually. You agree with Liz that I'm in rare form? I, I admitted I was in rare form when I started the show, Megan. You should know this. All right. Uh, but that was a look at, it, at the inside of his house. Uh, according to the police report and crime scene photos, Warden was hung upside down by her legs with a crossbar at her ankles and ropes at her wrists. The torso was dressed out like a deer. The police began searching the rest of the farm immediately. During the course of their search through the hoarded out home, police found whole human bones and fragments, a waste basket made of human skin, human skin covering several chair seats. Warning you, I have pictures. Uh, skulls on top of bedposts, female skulls, some with the tops sewn off sawed off 
bowls made from human skulls, a corset made from uh, from a female torso skinned from the shoulders to waist, leggings made from human leg skin, masks made from the skin of female heads. Gee, uh, leather face, anybody? Uh, Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag. Mary Hogan's skull in a box. Bernice Warden's entire head in a burlap sack. Bernice Warden's heart in a plastic bag in front of Gein's pot-bellied stove. Nine, vulva in a shoebox. A young girl's dress and the vulvas of two females judged to have been about 15 years old. A belt made from female human nipples. Four noses. A pair of lips on a window shade drawstring. A lampshade made from the skins of a human face. Fingernails from female fingers. Uh, yeah, this guy was a little bit of a freak. Now, something that this story doesn't seem to mention here is the fact that Ed had a very unhealthy relationship with his mother, which is where some of the influence from Norman Bates came from. And one of the names that I mentioned in my list, um, his mother was hyper-religious. And she basically, if you've ever seen the movie Psycho, basically the way that Norman would talk to Mrs. Bates is kind of a very similar way to the way that Ed's mother spoke to him. Uh, news of Gein's arrest and trial captivated the country. Tabloids rehashed all the grisly details of what was found inside his home. Gein admitted to stealing from graves and people began coming forward with their own stories about weird Ed Gein. One childhood friend recounted a story about seeing shrunken heads in Gein's home. Gein claimed that they were from the Philippines, but the former friend wasn't so sure. As more details emerged, Gein became a real-life monster template. Over the years, a number of authors and artists would turn the Plainfield ghoul for inspiration. Gein provided inspiration for a number of movies and acted as the foundation for some of the most iconic horror characters ever and we spoke about a lot of those characters so yes uh you know uh we got liz here saying freaky uh we got my wife saying yuck yeah um so when you hear a lot of the things that they found in gene's home and then you think about the character of leatherface from the texas chainsaw massacre a light bulb i would hope would go off in your head kind of the same way it did when i first learned about mr eddie gene oh he eats cereal and soup out of human skulls. They're, you know, chairs made out of bones and skin and, and things of that nature. All those things you see inside the house in the movie, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So when you see the, the title screen, unfortunately, I can't show them due to copyright claim. But if you see the beginning of The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it says inspired by a true story. It's about that motherfucker right there, Mr. Ed Gein. So. Yeah, Leatherface has had a couple other influences as well. Uh, a lot of people want to sit there and say that Dahmer might have had a lot to do with Leatherface. Unfortunately, Dahmer wasn't caught by the time the Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out. So Dahmer wasn't even known by that point. Um, but Ed Gein, like I said, the, the unhealthy relationship with his mother, he did all of this. He he stole these, he claimed this in court, that he stole all these bodies and killed those two women and everything like that. He was making a woman's suit. Does that sound familiar of another notorious Hollywood character? We'll get to him in a minute. And he was doing all of these things to please his mother. 
not necessarily to honor her, but to please her because she never wanted him to do the things that are the sins of the flesh, which is another reason why Bernice Warden was so was so important, because a lot of people thought that Bernice actually had a crush on Ed and that they want he wanted she wanted to have a relationship with him. But because of Cuckoo Mother, picture Carrie's mother in the, in the religious aspect, um, that all came to light. So I mentioned the actual human being here. For the rest of the show, I'm going to mention the Hollywood character and then the story of the people that inspired them from here on out. But because Ed has been the inspiration for so many Hollywood characters, I had to put him at the top of the list. So let's let's talk about this again. If you've ever seen the movie House of a Thousand Corpses by Rob Zombie, um, the, the entire Firefly family, Otis, Baby, Captain Spaulding, Junior, all of those were inspired by Ed Gein, especially Otis. When you think about a lot of the things that Otis did by, you know, creating these human animal hybrid characters that he did, even the character of Dr. Satan. If you remember the story that uh, Captain Spaulding told in his museum of monsters and Mad Men tour at the beginning of house of a thousand corpses. And then obviously, you know, the family being on the run, like they were in devil's rejects. And then again, in, in three from hell. Uh, so, you know, Leatherface, we, obviously everything that I read here equals Leatherface. Norman Bates, Dr. Oliver Threadson from American Horror Story Asylum. So there's a lot of inspiration there. And there's also been fictionalized movies made about Ed Gein himself, one of them notoriously starring Kane Hodder, who would become famous for playing Jason Voorhees in five, five, four either four or five uh, Friday the 13th movies. So let's talk about one of my favorite Hollywood baddies. This, this has been a baddie that is now always on the top of my list, Dr. Hannibal Lecter. So Dr. Hannibal Lecter, psychiatrist and cannibal. And uh, so written by Thomas Harris, first appeared in the book Red Dragon. Red Dragon was later made into a movie called Manhunter in 1986, with Dr. Hannibal Lecter being betrayed by William Cox. Later, his second book, Silence of the Lambs, was turned into another film, Dr. Lecter being taken over by Academy Award-winning actor for his betrayal of Dr. Lecter, Anthony Hopkins. And then he would then go on to repeat and play Hannibal Lecter again in the film Hannibal. And then an origin story was written by Thomas Harris in 2007 entitled Hannibal Rising. And there was also a television show called Hannibal as well. So when, when uh, Tom Harris was working as a journalist for Argosy in the 1960s, he interviewed a mental patient, Dykes Eskew Simmons. Does the fact that I know knew who you were talking about before you mentioned his name make me creepy? No. Not at all. Um, uh, Askew Simmons, who was on death row in Nuevo Leon State Penitentiary, Monterey, for killing three people. Simmons had been shot by a prison guard and treated by a skilled prison doctor whom Harris referred to as Dr. Salazar. Harris interviewed Salazar, who spoke about Askew's facial disfigurements his victim's physical attractiveness, and the nature of torch, torment. 
Harris described him as a small, lithe man with dark red hair who stood very still. Let's get uh, Mr. Gein off the screen here. He's creeping me out. Um, actually. There's Ratchet Coffee to her office. Uh, who stood very still with a certain elegance about him. The prison guard later told Harris that Salazar was a murderer who could, quote, package his victim in a surprisingly small box. Salazar inspired Harris to create a character with a peculiar understanding of the criminal mind. Salazar is believed to be Alfredo Bali Trevino, the last criminal to be condemned to death in Mexico in 1959. Bali was a physician from an upper-class Monterey family who murdered his friend and lover, Jesus Castillo Rangel, and mutilated his body. He was also suspected of killing and dismembering several hitchhikers, hitchhikers in the countryside during the late 50s and early 60s. Harris incorporated some of these details into Buffalo Bill's development as a killer in The Silence of the Lambs. Bali's sentence was commuted to 20 years after he and was released in 1981. After his release, Bali continued working as a, as a physician in Augusty office until his death in 2009. In her book, Evil Serial Killers, Charlotte Grieg asserts Lecter was inspired at least in part by serial killer Albert Fish. Greer also states that to explain Lecter's pathology, Harris borrowed the... Uh, borrowed the possibly a uh, uh, African story of serial killer and cannibal Andre Chiquilito's brother Stepan being kidnapped and eaten by starving neighbors. The location of the book Hannibal was inspired by the monster of Florence. While preparing the book, Harris traveled to Italy and was present at the trial of the main suspect, Pietro Picchini, where he was seen taking notes now a few other things to mention about lector thomas harris also came out a little bit later on and said that he was also inspired by the work that the fbi was doing in their newly funded criminal profile team so basically harris was also taking from the notes that john douglas the father of criminal profiling and his original team of profilers was doing when they were interviewing some of the most notorious serial killers of that time. So we're talking David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. Uh, by that point, Ted Bundy was already in prison and a lot of those other things. And a lot of those pieces went into creating not only the character of Buffalo Bill and Hannibal Lecter, but also you got to think about the tooth fairy from uh, Red Dragon. Also, the characters of Will Graham and Clarice Starling, and obviously Jack Traffer, their, their boss, and all these other characters. All of that was taken from real FBI files when he would sit down and interview John Douglas, who is a personal friend of Thomas Harris, the creator of some of the most notorious characters in Hollywood. Not just Hannibal Lecter, but Buffalo Bill and the Tooth Fairy, characters like that. This one was a little bit shocking to me, and this one I actually did need to do a little bit of research on. But Ghostface, the killer from the, the costume, I should say, from the movie Scream 
is actually based on a real-life killer as well. Screenwriter Kevin Williamson discovered the Gainesville Ripper, a drifter who terrorized the Florida town in 1990. Over three days, the Gainesville Ripper, otherwise known as Danny Rawling, murdered five college students. Serial killer Danny Rawling murdered before becoming known as the Gainesville Ripper. He's uh, widely known for killing five students in August 1990, one from Santa Fe College and four from the University of Florida. Rawling had killed before. He married uh, Christina Powell, Sonia Larson, uh, Krista Lee Hoyt, Manuel Tabola, and Tracy Pauls. According to Cinemaholic, Roland, Rowling broke into a house and killed three residents in November 1989. 24-year-old Julie Grissom, her eight-year-old nephew, whoops, her eight-year-old nephew Sean, and her 55-year-old father, William. Tom became Rowling's victim after he was fired from his job. Rowling's signature became posing his victims. Most often, he would spread his female victims' legs open and leave bite marks on them. If this sounds familiar, that's because Ghostface poses his victims throughout the screen movies. Rowling also killed his father, James Rowling, in May 1990. He shot him in the head after getting into an argument. All right, so obviously that's kind of a loose interpretation of uh, Ghostface, but you know, a lot of people could sit there and say, well, gee, you know, Tooth Fairy did that. Yes, but unfortunately, that book was written long before any of this as well. Uh, this guy was created. So the closest representation would be Ghostface. And obviously there were different people underneath the costume of Ghostface, which Wes Craven said was done on purpose so that they could always give you another red herring through later on throughout the film. So this one is probably, to me, one of the most disturbing and disgusting movies that was ever made. And I didn't mention the name of the killer in here because the killer is actually based on two different killers. Uh, the first, um, actually, we'll, we'll save that until we get into the story. So I mentioned a little bit earlier on how you look at the beginning of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and it says inspired by true events. And obviously that true event had nothing to do with a guy running around Texas with a chainsaw, cutting off people's faces and wearing them with a mask. It was actually based on Ed Gein, who cut off people's faces and wore them as masks. But Toby Hooper was one of the first people in Hollywood to include that moniker inspired by a true story, unless it was actually inspired by an actual event that the film is based on. Uh, the town that dreaded sundown is actually a perfect example of that. That is based on an actual event. So is uh, Zodiac, you know, films like that as well. This, however, took a took that Texas Chainsaw Massacre approach, and that film is Wolf Creek. Horror movies that are marketed as works based on true stories slash events rightfully result in fans of the genre expressing a healthy skepticism over such claims. Who could expect otherwise when the true aspects of the films almost always some combination of embellished, heavily edited, or invented entirely? 
Wolf Creek, the notoriously ultra-violent Australian flick released in 2005, is no exception. Despite texts assuring viewers that the events depicted within the film are factual, the truth is that director Greg McLean used elements of a few different crimes to spin a brutal but fictional tale. Given this, what parts of Wolf Creek are actually based on true life crime? The film is set in 1999 in a coastal town of Broome. Prominently introduces us to the three protagonists. We're going to skip all that. The true story element of it is where he began in one sense, in the sense that he's a combination of Bradley Murdoch and Ivan Milat. Now, who are they talking about? They're talking about the care, the killer Mick in the film Wolf Creek. Uh, McLean told Starburst magazine he's it's a combination of elements of those true characters and then took a lot of the Australian archi- uh, archetypal characters and cultural mythology like Crocodile Dundee, Steve Irwin, and wove those characters into a combination uh, to come up with my character. It's really a combination of what the international perception of the Australian personality is, then also having this hidden side of that personality that's the dark and negative stuff as well. It's kind of an interesting combination of those two things, the iconography and the repressed side of the country. Ivan Millette killed at least seven tourists between 1989 and 1993 in what was infamously known as the Backpack Killings. Millette's first two victims were discovered by runners in the Belango State Forest near Balrol in September 1992, according to the Sydney Morning Herald's timeline of of the crimes. Police ultimately confirmed the bodies were those of Carolyn Clark and Joan uh, Joanne Walters. Walters had been stabbed repeatedly. Clark had been shot repeatedly. Police guessed she had been used as target practice. A year later, a human skull was found by a local in a forested area, leading to the discovery of the bodies of Deborah Everest and James Gibson, a couple who had gone missing in 1989. Roughly a month after that, police sergeant discovered the corpses of even more missing tourists. Investigators noted several similarities in the killings. Several of the victims had been bound or gagged, and a sexual element was strongly suggested in six of the seven deaths. The Herald Sun reported that in 2010. Police were able to link the deaths to the case of Paul Onions, who had narrowly escaped the clutches of a killer with a similar profile in November of 1993, according to the advertiser. Millette was an early suspect in that case. He had previously been a suspect in similar abductions and rapes in 1971, although the charges against him had been dropped, according to a New Zealand Herald. Onions was flown to Australia from the UK to help confirm the identity of Millette. And... um, Millette was ultimately found guilty of seven murders on July 27th, 1996, and remains incarcerated to this day. Police are unsure if they have discovered all of Millette's victims. In 2015, police potentially leaked, linked 
the cases of three women who were missing in 1970 to Malat. Bradley John Murdoch, the other inspiration for Wolf Creek, was found guilty for the murder of English backpacker Peter Falconio in 2005. Falconio, a 28-year-old tourist whose body has still never been discovered, disappeared in Australia in 2001 in July. The case garnered international attention in the wake of the capture of Malat years earlier. While traveling with his girlfriend, Joanne Lees, the two were stopped by a stranger who indicated their car had been visibly, visibly malfunctioning, according to the Sydney Morning Herald. Lee said that when the two pulled over to investigate, the stranger brandished a gun. Lee's managed to escape from the situation after being bound by tape and sexually assaulted, but, but Falconio was less fortunate. Lee's was able to identify Murdoch from police photos after they matched his vehicle to descriptions given by Lee's and DNA evidence left on Lee's clothing sealed Murdoch's fate. He was found guilty on December 13, 2005, reported the Herald Sun. So that just goes to show that you can't always believe the inspired by true events or based on a true story moniker in some of these films. Now, while a lot of the details from this uh, about these two characters are very similar to what the character Mick did in Wolf Creek. It still lends credence to the fact that you still never know exactly what these films are based on and what they're not. And, and even in the case of a movie like um, The Town the Dreaded Sundown, some of those details are grossly uh, exaggerated or misconstrued as well. It, it just happens. It's called creative licensing. It's what a lot of these um, people like to do when they're making these films. Now, um, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but if you're if you're going to sit there and put the moniker out there that these films are based on true events, at least try to keep the film as true to the events as possible. Um, Wolf Creek has inspired a sequel and a television series, all done by the same people. So at least they have the creative team in place with a lot of that. However, you know they are still greatly exaggerating some of these stories. Another perfect example of when using um using the terms you know th this is based on actual events can kind of end up biting you in the in the ass is the case of the of the Blair Witch project you know th th that was a found footage film before we even knew what found footage films were and they used the sense that this was actual footage of an actual documentary that the police conveniently ended up deciding to release to the public, which I can tell you right now, they don't fucking do. And people were led to believe that this was based on an actual event and actually flooded the town of Burkittsville, Maryland, because of it. Since then, the filmmakers have come out and admitted the film was fake. But they also did targeted advertising. And here's what I mean by that. 
a week before the film was meant to come out in theaters and every you know the trailer had been out there everybody knows what the Blair Witch project is by this point I would think but they actually used the sci-fi channel to their advantage because the sci-fi channel put out a fake documentary entitled The Curse of the Blair Witch in which it documented the entire history of the fictional character that they came up with for this movie, Ellie Kedward. And it was brilliant marketing and kudos to Hacks and Films and Lionsgate for including the Curse of the Blair Witch documentary special that was on the Sci-Fi channel on the DVD. And I think it might even be on the Blu-ray as well of the Blair Witch Project. But that is the the kind of targeted um, advertising that I'm talking about here when it comes to a lot of these films where they say they're based on true events. And that's another part of the reason why I wanted to do this. I mean, hell, it's spooky season. Everybody's talking about Dahmer right now because of the Netflix television show. We got Halloween ends coming out on the 14th, and I can't wait to go and see that movie. It's going to be a fucking blast. But, you know, it's it's nice to know where the inspiration for a lot of these Hollywood notorious characters came from. And with that, we're going to go to break. When we come back, I got more names on this list that we're going to break down. And these are some of the bigger names in Hollywood. We'll be back here on Money's Crazy Mind. Don't nobody go nowhere. And, uh, oh, yeah, who are you going to call? Oh, God, it's fun. 
That sounds that sounds really great. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. Who are you talking to? Uh, the Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters. Hello, Northeast Ohio Ghostbusters. What are you wearing? Uh, khakis. Well, that sounds hideous. Well, they're Ghostbusters. Redline Radio is proud to partner with Growing Wings Adult Services, the proud sponsor of our state-of-the-art production studio. The team at Growing Wings has over seven years' experience of helping adults with disabilities in the Northeast Ohio area. If Lisa Summers and the team at Growing Wings can help your family, contact them at 234-334-7547 today. And mention that you heard all about Growing Wings right here on Redline Radio, LLC. Redline oh, Radio wow, is proud sounds... to partner with Growing Wings Adult Services, the proud sponsor of our state-of-the-art production studio. The team at Growing... Whoops. Forgot to advance the video there. We're back here on Money's Crazy Mind. What's going on, everybody? The band you guys are hearing are my boys over in Psych Ward. Want to obviously thank them for the use of Fright Night. That's the name of the song there. And of course, Detroit Auto Parts is the official parts store of Redline Radio and home 
of our original studio. They have two convenient locations on the east side. You can call 216-531-7373. Or on the west side, you can call 216-398-7373. Mention that you heard about them right here on Redline Radio LLC, and you get 10% off your purchase. And I know this. I've done it. Also, uh, we want to welcome one of our newest sponsors, Dynatech. As many satisfied customers say, our diamond saw blades are the fastest cutting and longest lasting. Customer satisfaction is how we measure success at Dynatech, and our engineers are always available to help you troubleshoot and solve a problem on your job site. Their products include saw blades, abrasive blades, pavement marking blades, core drill rigs and core drill bits, high-speed gas saws, masonry saws, walk-behind saws, tile saws and other construction equipment we stand behind our products with a warranty and customer service that keeps our customers satisfied and earned us the ranking of best in the industry contact dynatech today and call them at 800-446-9001 or you can send them an email at sales at dynatech.com and you can also visit their website dynatech.com Come. Also, another one of our brand new sponsors here, Lucy Shenanigans Seafood and Steakhouse, located at 2218 Broadview Road, Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, Michelle and the staff at Lucy's are always committed to giving their guests the best experience. Join them every Friday night for karaoke and, of course, your hometown sports games. You can contact them at 216-675-0013, and they deliver. All right. So before we went to break, we were talking about how some of the most notorious characters in Hollywood history are based on some of the biggest scumbags in real life. And, of course, you know, we've already mentioned that Ed Gein has inspired some of the greatest names in Hollywood horror history. The entire Firefly family family from uh, Rob Zombie's films, House of a Thousand Corpses, The Devil's Rejects, and Three from Hell. Norman Bates from Psycho, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Dr. Oliver Threadson from American Horror Story, and he partially helped be the inspiration behind Buffalo Bill from The Silence of the Lambs. We also talked about Ghostface, Hannibal Lecter, and how the movie Wolf Creek is... Uh, we're all inspired by real life baddies. All right. We're going to move on into our list here for just in just a minute. Uh, now the people that are on this list, obviously Buffalo bill is uh, still mis- listed here. And there is a list of names that inspired that guy. Very similar to the fact that Hannibal Lecter was made up of very, very, you know, various different serial killers and uh, baddies throughout history. Uh, this next one, isn't actually about an actual human being, but it also shows that how some of the most notorious characters in history can be inspired by events. And that is of course, Freddy Krueger from the nightmare on Elm street film series in a 2014 interview with vulture uh, director and writer Wes Craven said he came up with the idea of Krueger's character after reading an LA Times story about a family who immigrated to the United States from the killing fields of Cambodia. 
Things were fine. Then suddenly the young son was having very disturbing nightmares. He told his parents he was afraid that if he slept, that the thing chasing him would get him. He tried to stay awake for days at a time. When he finally fell asleep, his parents thought the crisis was over. Then they heard screams in the middle of the night. By the time they got to him, he was dead. He died in the middle of a nightmare. He Here was the a youngster having a vision of a horror that everyone older than him was denying. And that became the central line of a nightmare on Elm Street. So there you have it. Wes Craven just reading the newspaper and he came up with the entire character basis of the dream demon known as Fred Krueger. Now, obviously, there's a lot of other inspiration that probably could have come from that as well. Fred Krueger was a child murderer. You know, he was he worked at the school. You know, there were many other aspects of that. He was also a beloved figure in the neighborhood until they discovered that he was a child killer. Now, one thing about the original vision of Freddy Krueger that was actually removed from the original Nightmare on Elm Street films is that also Fred Krueger was a pedophile and that he was a sexual dev- What's up, dear? Uh, a sexual molester as well. Uh, back in the time, New Line Cinema thought that that was just a little bit too creepy and they wanted that removed from the film. So Craven removed that aspect of it. However, it was put back into the film uh, for the remake in 2009, 2010, I want to say. But th- that aspect of Fred Krueger was put back in. So we talked about uh, Buffalo Bill briefly before the break as well. Now, Buffalo Bill, uh, Tom Harris uh, created this character uh, for his second book in the Hannibal Lecter series, uh, Silence of the Lambs. Deeply influenced by Ed Gein, the the butcher of Plainfield and the Plainfield ghoul. Uh, Ed Gein, as we talked about earlier, was a grave robber stole the bodies of, of elder, uh, older women, but also bigger women because he was making himself a woman suit. And he was also heavily influenced by his mother's demented religious ramblings. Uh, Ed Gein is also tied to the murders of two women. And he also highly influenced the character of, Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre as well in the fact that Gein also used the skins to create furniture. Uh, he, he Not only did he have a belt of nipples, but he also had picture frames that had nipples on them and various other things. Ed Gein was a sick motherfucker. There is no other way to put it. But he also helped influence Buffalo Bill, but so did a lot of other people as well. Jerry Brudos, who strangled his victims and dressed up in their clothing and kept their shoes. Uh, We spoke about Ed Gein. Ted Bundy, who pretended to be injured using an arm brace or crutches as a ploy to ask his victims for help. When they helped him, he incapacitated and killed them. Uh, Gary M. Heidnick, who kidnapped, raped, and tortured six women while holding them prisoners in a pit where two died. Put the fucking lotion in the basket. Uh, Ed Kemper, who, like James Gum, the character of Buffalo Bill, killed his grandparents as a teenager just to see what it felt like. 
and Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, still unidentified at the time of, of the novel's writing, Sounds of the Lambs, uh, who, like James Gum, dumped women's bodies in rivers uh, and inserted foreign objects into their corpses. If you remember, the Death's Head Moth was one of Buffalo Bill's signatures, and he stuck them in the mouth mouths of his victims. Um, and, you know, they, they always say that serial killers try inserting themselves into the investigation as well. James Gum was no different, Buffalo Bill. Uh, when Clarice came a knocking on his door, um, asking about the for, uh, former tenant of a house that actually he was using, uh, Frederica, Frederica Bimmel, I believe was her name. Been a while since I've seen Silence of the Lambs. Um, you know, he said, uh, no, I have no idea who that is. And then later on, he changed his tune and said, oh, wait, was she a, wasn't she a big, uh, big old fat girl? And then the death said moth came flying out the door. And that's when she was able to put two and two together and discover that she was actually in the home of Buffalo Bill himself. Um, but as you know, you know, the pit, I, that's why I said, you know, put the fucking lotion in the basket. That's a line from the movie when he had the girl down in the pit. Um, you know, Ed Gein fashioned trophies and keepsakes from the bones and skins of corpses he dug up at cemeteries, as well as formed two uh, from two women he murdered. He also made a female skin suit and masks. Um, so, you know, it just goes to show that a lot of these characters are 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 Frankenstein's, I guess you can say, of various other characters all rolled into one to make them even more notorious and more disturbing when it comes to it. Now, this next one is a little bit of a different take on uh, some of the characters here that we're talking about. The next one is Kieser Soze from the usual suspects. And that is based on a man named John Emil list. He was an American mass murderer and longtime fugitive. On November 9th, 1971, he killed his wife, mother, and three children at their home in Westfield, New Jersey, and then he disappeared. He had planned the murders so meticulously that nearly a month passed before anyone suspected that anything was amiss. List assumed a new identity, remarried, and eluded justice for nearly 18 years. He was finally apprehended in Virginia on June 1st, 1989, after the story of his murders was broadcast on the television program America's Most Wanted. After extradition to New Jersey, he was convicted on five counts of first-degree murder and sentenced to five consecutive terms of life imprisonment, making him eligible for parole nearly 75 years later. List gave critical... Uh, uh, financial problems, as well as his perception that his family members were straying from their religious faith as his motivations for the murders. He believed that killing them would assure their souls a place in heaven where he hoped to eventually join them. List died in prison in 2008 at the age of 82. So, whoops. Uh, there's a couple other characters that I think we can uh, we can attest uh, Mr. List to use uh, um, as well. Uh, if anybody's ever seen the, the movie The Stepfather, 
uh, you know, the perception of that his family members were straying from the religious faith and the motive, you know, from motivations. But we've also seen, we, you know, we, we can tie Ed Gein kind of to that a little bit as well because of his mother's religious persecutions uh, that she tried to put to him. Um, you know, uh, even a little bit uh, in another true crime story uh, with Chris Benoit. You know, Benoit leaving Bibles uh, at his wife and son's feet and, um, you know, looking up a Bible story about resurrecting a dead child, things of those natures, things like that going in uh, to, uh, you know, you can tie a little bit to that as well. Um, so, you know, there, there's a couple different takes that you can take away from that, uh, but um the Usual Suspects is actually a movie I've never seen, so I might have to go back and watch that. But, you know, like I said, I mean, you know, he he was also on the run for 18 years, uh, assumed a new identity, remarried, and eluded justice for 18 years. That's quite a feat, you know, and, and he was very meticulous in the way that he, he killed his family that a month passed before anyone suspected that anything was wrong. So he had this very planned out, and I I give him props on that man um you know uh killing them would assure their uh souls a place in heaven uh that's kind of you know you you hear that a lot too you've seen it on a lot of episodes of criminal minds and and shows like that so you know you can see where a lot of these influences are coming from uh only got a couple more uh hollywood baddies here on my list so I wanted to talk about a couple characters that I was going to look at, that I was looking at that not, aren't necessarily tied to the realm of horror films, but are just characters that you can see different um, similarities to. And, you know, where um, even the authors of these books decades before um, have said, you know, they've gotten influence from some of these characters. And the first one actually kind of shocked me. I'm just like, wow, that's pretty fucking cool. Um, and that is the character of um, uh, Le Chiffre from Casino Royale. Uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle actually did base him off of a real character. And I'm trying to pull up that name. I, I had the, the window open and I accidentally closed it during break. Okay. Where is the Let's see if he's on this list. Um, but he is he was based on a real person as well. Um, Annie Wilkes from Misery was based on real-life killer nurse Janine Jones. Stephen King is famed for his literary, uh, literary references, but he is not averse to linking his horrific visions to the horrors of the real world, such as the case with Misery, in which the frightening figure of Annie Wilkes, memorably portrayed by Kathy Bates in the film adaptation, uh, is based on a real-life killer who was, if anything, even more villainous. Janine Jones was a nurse working at Bexar County Hospital's pediatric ICU in the early 80s when babies under her care started perishing at far higher rates than expected. 
After being accused of causing the casualties herself, Jones resigned and moved on to another hospital where several babies suffered strange respiratory issues but recovered. Then she was caught in the act of administering a powerful muscle relaxant to a 14-month-old causing a fatal seizure, and the entire ordeal came to light, known as the Angel of Death. Jones' crimes became national news in 1984, and apparently her motivation was to actually was not to actually complete the crime, but to bring the infants to the edge of death, and then save them. A twisted ideology that caught the attention of many, including King, who released Misery in 1987. Uh, Ursula from The Little Mermaid was based on the famous drag queen Divine. Dr. Evil was based on SNL producer Lorne Michaels and actor Donald Pleasance. Lord Farquaad from Shrek might be Michael Eisner. Lashif from Casino Royale was based on occultist Aleister Crowley. There we go. I found it. Uh, the antagonist Lashif appeared in both Ian Fleming's book Casino Royale and the Daniel Craig helmed film adaptation of the same name. Lashif also appear uh, happens to be based on real life historical celebrity who many consider to be a villain and with whom Fleming himself actually once crossed paths. Aleister Crowley was a famed occultist, perhaps the, the famed occultist, and the founding figure of many modern magical movements, including the Church of Satan. In 1941, while working for naval intelligence, Fleming had the opportunity to uh, interrogate high-level Nazi Rudolf Hess, rumored to be fascinated with the paranormal, and also uh, he and so he approached Crowley for assistance. As, film, as Fleming historian Mark Simmons writes, when you read biographies on Fleming, they suggest he was mostly desk-driven, but he did have adventures. There were quite a few events in the war where he was at the sharp end. The books and films were heavily influenced by his time in naval intelligence. He met Crowley just the once in Torquay. After his death in 1947, Crowley became the inspiration for Bond's first villain, Lashif. Lashif, who worships the devil and imbibed in exotic substances, was more or less hyperbolic representation of Crowley, but also served as a template for all future villains in the franchise. What that means is that Crowley didn't just serve as an inspiration for the first Bond baddie. He served as inspiration for all of them. So, yeah. Uh, Elliot Carver from Tomorrow Never Dies was based on British press magnate Robert Maxwell, uh, Ghislaine Maxwell's father. So that's just a couple honorable mentions that um, I wanted to bring up here before we get into the final two that we uh, have here. Uh, so, like I mentioned earlier, um, Redline Radio is going to be back on remote on October 21st and 22nd from the reopening of Tattoo Therapy, Inc. They are moving just three doors down from their current location, the old Lily's Chinese restaurant. Myself, uh, Ape, uh, Grape Ape, and 
Lex Vegas will be broadcasting live there on Friday and on Saturday. Uh, we're going to be broadcasting from there live again as well. Um, also, October 15th and 16th on our brand new YouTube channel and also our uh, Redline Media Group page, we are going to be live streaming the races from Lorraine Speedway both days. Myself, Timbuktu, and Dynamite Dave will be there for all the action so don't miss that they will be live streaming all day exclusively on the red line media group facebook page and also on our youtube channel uh, so that's kind of some of the stuff that we have coming up here at red line radio uh tomorrow you can catch fourth and 15 from two to four and then of course you have cocktails and comedy with jen jen from 8 30 to 9 30 and then TMI, Too Much Information, the show that was most improved in the month of September, will be coming at you live at 10 p.m. to midnight. Then on Sunday, they're back. The professional unprofessionals, Kev and Quan, are back, and they have a brand new time, 4 to 6 p.m. And then immediately following them, you got Medium Ratchet from 6 to 7 p.m. And then the Steel City Renegades will be back from 7 to 9 p.m., breaking down the Steelers-Bills game and looking ahead to their game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where, of course, we all know Tom Brady and it looks like Giselle are breaking up, man. So then, of course, Monday night, you got Just Therapy with uh, comedian Sean Boyd. Tuesday, Tim Buck Tuesdays returns 6 to 8 p.m., uh, Gary Winter spinning all the hits over on Redline Radio LLC.com from 6 to 10 and Broad Street South from 8 to 9 p.m. And then, of course, Wednesday, She Vibes is moving to 8.30 to 9.30. So keep that in mind. And then also talking about balls from 7 to 9. And again, uh, congratulations to those guys having a real successful remote over at Lucy Seafood this past Wednesday night. It was amazing to see how many people were there to support them. Thursday, the Lex Vegas show from 7 to 8. Club Pizzle, 9 to 10. Broad Street South from 8 to 9. And then over on RedlineRadioLLC.com, Money's Crazy Soundtrack also returns. And I am putting together a Halloween horror soundtrack unlike anything you have ever heard. And I promise that. And then next week, of course, I'll be back Friday night. And so will Grape. Grape is actually on location right now working on some things for us and will return next week. Next week, uh, we are going to be talking, actually, about occultist Aleister Crowley, and that's why I brought him up with the Ian Fleming story and the fact that Lashif and almost every Bond villain following Lashif was based on Aleister Crowley. So let's get into the final two characters that we have here that we're going to be talking about. This one is not necessarily a Hollywood killer. Again, I wanted to do, do a couple of different things with, with this list and just kind of show you that inspiration can be found just about anywhere when it comes to some of these villains in some of these movies. This is actually from a Kevin Smith movie, Kevin Smith's first ever horror film that he made red state. And we're talking about Abin F Cooper, 
Abin Cooper was a fanatical preacher and charismatic leader of the Five Points Trinity Church, and he is actually based on Fred Phelps. Phelps is, of course, known as leader and preacher of the Westboro Baptist Church, whose claim to fame are protests they hold at the funerals of fallen U.S. service members, claiming that God hates fags and God loves a dead soldier because he believed God was punishing the USA for its acceptance of homosexuality. Uh, Fred Phelps was born November 13th, 1929, and died March 19th, 2014. He hung in there, didn't he? He was an American minister who served as the pastor of the Westboro Baptist Church, worked as a civil rights attorney, and ran for statewide election in Kansas. He gained national attention for his homophobic views and protests near the funerals of gay people, military veterans, and disaster victims who he believed were killed as a result of God punishing the U.S. for having bankrupt values and tolerating homosexuality. In 1955, Phelps founded the Westboro Baptist Church, a Topeka, Kansas-based independent primitive Baptist congregation. It has been described by the Southern Poverty Law Center as arguably, arguably the most obnoxious and rabid hate group in America. Its signature slogan, God Hates Fags, remains the name of the group's principal website. In addition to funerals, Phelps and his followers, mostly uh, his own immediate family members, picketed gay pride gatherings, high-profile political events, university commencement ceremonies, live performances of the Laramie Project, and functions sponsored by mainstream Christian groups with which he has no affiliation, arguing it was their sacred duty to warn others of God's anger. He continued doing so in the face of numerous legal challenges, some of which reached the U.S. Supreme Court, a near universal opposition and contempt from other religious groups and the general public. Laws enacted at both the federal and state levels for the specific purpose of curtailing his disruptive activities were limited in their effectiveness due to the constitutional protections afforded to Phelps under the First Amendment. Gay rights supporters denounced him as a producer of anti-gay propaganda and violent, inspiring hate speech, and even Christians from fundamentalist denominations distance themselves from him so this guy is what you would like to call uh scumbag of the century you know it's one thing to have anti anti-lgbtq views which i'm strongly against i have family members that belong to that community and if i ever ran into fred phelps i would have probably punched him in the face but to protest dead soldiers' funerals and to sit there and say God loves a dead soldier and that he punished that soldier because God hates homosexuality. You know, there, there's a big misconception about some of these verses in the Bible which strictly condemn homosexuality. There's a big gap in a lot of that. 
And there's actually a documentary coming out which shows that since the Bible has been reinterpreted by man over so many decades, that a lot of the original story has been completely misconstrued by the people and the branches of the religion that are writing it. So the fact that a character like Fred Phelps even existed uh, is beyond compare to me. And to, com- and to compare dead soldiers to, to add into your homophobia, I mean, that that's just... Uh, Phelps died in 2014. The Westboro Baptist Church remains in operation. It continues to conduct regular demonstrations outside movie theaters, universities, government buildings, and other facilities in Topeka and elsewhere, and is still characterized as a hate group in the Anti-Defamation League and the Southern Poverty Law Center. So this kind of goes back to the conversation that we had a couple months ago about the alt-right and how a lot of their views can be determined as hate speech. And we also talked about John List, the inspiration for Kieser Soze and the usual suspects, how religion was his catalyst to kill. What would stop one of these members of the Westboro Baptist Church from finally doing the unspeakable? and they're protesting outside of movie theaters, universities, government buildings, and, you know, facilities like that. That's just wrong, man. And the funny thing is, is that Kevin Smith even admitted that part of the reason why he even included or did this movie about the Westboro Baptist Church and things like that is because the Westboro Baptist Church was even protesting his movie Dogma, which made fun of a lot of the religious dogmas that are out there i mean hence the name of the film you know and and he always characterized it by saying i had a rubber shit monster running around in this movie i was making fun of everything that that so many people held dear about religion and and his own crisis of faith that he had and he had his at a very young age but we're going to close it out with a guy that's been killing people on say, on screen for 45 years. And the story of this character is finally coming to an end on October 14th when Halloween ends, hits theaters, and Peacock is the final showdown between Laurie Strode, always brilliantly played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and Michael Myers. One of the very first slasher characters that were ever invented. He is the reason we have characters like Jason Voorhees, Mike, uh, uh, sorry, Ghostface, Freddy Krueger, Chucky, the killer doll. These are all because John Carpenter created the character of Michael Myers in 1977. And hell, 
Sean Cunningham, a man that I've met and I personally hold at a very high level as one of my favorite filmmakers of all time, admitted to ripping off Halloween when he asked Victor Minor to write Friday the 13th. So was John Carpenter inspired by a true story when he developed Halloween and its sadistic serial killer, Michael Myers? Halloween debuted in 1978 and has since spawned a franchise consisting of sequels, remakes, reboots, and last year, Blumhouse Productions released Halloween, a reboot that served as a direct sequel to the original, and there are two more sequels on the way, so obviously this is a little bit of an older story. Halloween was credited as the film that jump-started the slasher craze that continued through the 80s and 90s. Much of that was due to the influence of Michael Myers. The ruthless madman at the center of the story who returns to his hometown of Haddonfield 15 years after murdering his family on Halloween night. Well, that's a lie. He only murdered his sister. On the anniversary of the killings, Michael wanders around town, scoping out victims and targeting teenage babysitters. Among them, Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, wears a dark jumpsuit and a white expressionless mask that has since become iconic. Michael's stealth movements and tendency to stalk his victims gave him the nickname of The Shape. When the idea behind Halloween was still being developed, the story was originally titled The Babysitter Murders. Carpenter agreed that the central story should be more specific, so the team decided to focus on Halloween night. Carpenter co-wrote co the script with Deborah Hill, and the screenplay is rumored to have only taken 10 days to complete. Many of the details in the movie, such as the setting or the names, were based on Carpenter and Hill's connections in real life. The character of Michael Myers was based on an existing person that Carpenter encountered while in college. While attending Western Kentucky University, Carpenter visited a local mental institution with one of his classes. The director later shared his experience in a Halloween documentary, A Cut Above the Rest which came out in 2003. Carpenter described seeing some of the most serious and mentally ill patients, including a young boy no older than 13, with a quote-unquote schizophrenic stare. The documentary explained that the boy's black, soulless eyes and pale, emotionless face inspired Dr. Loomis's quote in the movie when he described Michael as having the blackest eyes. The devil's eyes. The visit had an immense effect on Carpenter, and this boy inspired Michael's demeanor. Besides, Michael's mind is rooted in evil. Carpenter wanted to add the element of a haunted house. He believed that every, every town had that one old, decrepit house that everyone stayed away from, whether it be from folklore or embellished rumors. Carpenter wanted something similar in Halloween. The Myers house served as a location in the movie that the townspeople avoided, especially in October. To the town, it was the house where a young boy once murdered his family. But it also had many other dark secrets. Carpenter also took influence from Celtic traditions when it came to the holiday of Halloween. He and Hill were intrigued by the festival of Samhain and the notion that dark souls are let out on Halloween and they wreak havoc on the living. 
There was a belief that evil couldn't be stopped or killed. The lore perfectly described Michael Myers' actions and his almost superhuman characteristics. If it wasn't for Carpenter's college trip in the 60s, who knows what Halloween and Michael Myers' legacy would have been. All right. So there you have it. Some of the most notorious characters in Hollywood history and their real life inspirations. So why did I do this list? I did this list because, you know, every year in October, I like to get spooky. And obviously this is the month of October. And so we got a little spooky with it. Now, there are a lot of other characters that I probably could have looked at, but I wanted to look at some of the characters that are most known. Hannibal Lecter, Buffalo Bill, Michael Myers, Fred Krueger. Characters like that. And then I threw in a couple that were my own little personal flavor. Because I think that those are the stories that are the most important to tell, are the ones that you may not know are actually based on real-life influences. But then we also told you, about how movies are notorious for flipping facts, but yet still stating that they're based on actual stories. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Wolf Creek. And we talked about those influences as well. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, obviously, Leatherface based on Ed Gein. Wolf Creek based on not one, but two notorious Australian serial killers that were that are known for killing backpackers and, and tourists. But the, the, the creator of that film also wanted to throw in some of the, the more well-known stereotypes about Australia. The accent, good day, mate, all that. He wanted to throw that in. He also wanted to throw in, you know, the, the obsession with, with Steve Irwin that we had in the nineties and things like that. So you never know where the inspiration for some of these characters comes from. And just last year, I took you on a trip of some of the most haunted locations, not only in Ohio, but also in the United States. And had we not lost our original YouTube channel, I, that was actually going to be one of Money's Crazy Moments this week, or that was going to be Money's Crazy Moment for this week. But unfortunately, our YouTube channel got shut down, so I can't show it to you. Which is why we have our new YouTube channel and I ask that everybody listening and watching this podcast right now go and subscribe to that new YouTube channel. It is Red Line Radio Group LLC. You'll see the logo there and then you also see our little microphone dude. That little microphone dude right there. You'll see him there too. I want to give a huge shout out to Incredible Keepsakes for the awesome Money's Crazy Mind t-shirts. Anybody interested in getting a Money's Crazy Mind t-shirt, they are $25. You just let me know your size and what color you want. And if you want it to say welcome to the asylum or Nurse Ratchet's favorite psycho on the back, and I will get the order in and I will get it to you as soon as possible. Also want to give a huge shout out to my boys over in Four Locos. They have a couple of shows coming up here in October. For more information on that, you can go to fourlocosband.com or check them out right on Facebook. 
So what do we got coming up next week? Like I said, we're going to be talking about Aleister Crowley, probably the godfather of the occult. One of the very first people to ever do occultism and is the basis of a lot of occult-based religions that have come about. And also, if Aleister Crowley was an influence to one of these supposed killers in the West Memphis Three. So that's what we got coming up next week. And then the week after that, we're going to be live at Tattoo Therapy Inc. for their grand reopening just three doors down from where they were originally. And you're going to see me get tattooed live on the show by the owner of Tattoo Therapy Inc., Riley Chase himself. What's he going to be tattooing? Well, he's going to be fixing up this bad mammy jammy right here. But also, we are going to be meeting up with a real-life witch this month. And Riley Chase is going to be part of that as well. So we'll talk more about that next uh, in two weeks from Tattoo Therapy, Inc. And then the weekend of Halloween, we are going to break down all of the Halloween movies from the franchise and list them from what I think is best to worst. Actually, we'll do it the other way. Worst to best. And the good thing about that is Halloween ends, comes out October 14th, so I'll be able to add the conclusion of the Michael Myers story to that list. How cool is that? But we're going to cut it a little early here on Money's Crazy Mind. Like I said, I've got a massive fucking migraine and I need to get out of these bright lights or my head is going to explode until next week everybody thank you for checking out money's crazy mind i will see all you crazy cats and kits and kittens next week where we talk alistair crowley the godfather of a cult and the inspiration between behind ian fleming's bond villains until next week everybody where's my exit video See, people mess with shit, man. I'm just kidding. I hit it. There it is. All right. Until next week, everybody. Have a week. Money's Crazy Mind is a proud Redline Media Group and nameless, faceless production. That's all, folks.